As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. I'm sure you've had some crazy idea before that you just need to get out of your head, maybe wrote it down, maybe went all in and you built it. And, you know, we've all heard that age-old advice that if Ford had asked his initial customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, not a car. And that's usually used as a justification to trust your gut, pursue your vision. But honestly, the real world just isn't so neat and tidy. Many times our gut is wrong. And as much as we all hate to admit that, it'd be so much easier if our gut was always right. Then we wouldn't need things like quantitative and qualitative data. So one of today's confessions deals with just that, a potential founder who's getting lukewarm feedback from their peers, but they want to build their idea anyway. And you know what? We're going to kind of see how that goes. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. 
Racket Chip FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. Now, we have two really great confessions today. And I say really great in that the conversation they spark with our special guest, Thor Ernston of strata.cc, has a lot of really great takeaways for both product leaders and founders. So with that said, let's meet Thor. I'm happy to be here. I'm just Thor. I'm in New York. I uh, started a handful of companies. Most recently, right at the beginning of COVID, I uh, started Strata to help people connect and stay in touch with their professional network. And um, the thing was that we all would go to events like industry and others and see people on that circuit. And that sort of that's where you ran into colleagues slash friends that you know through professional routes. And, uh, and COVID just sort of took all that away. So people had to be a lot more intentional in their outreach, be a lot more intentional with their time. And, uh, and it just didn't have the same like serendipity and same sort of random stuff that would happen. Uh, they used to happen to sort of drive so many things. I mean, deals, certainly relationships, hiring, anything like that, that sort of the event circuit used to do was gone. And, uh, and then I realized there was actually a bigger problem, which was people are pretty bad at it to begin with. People are pretty bad at staying in touch and following up. And like we all walk around with stacks of business cards and like you can't do anything with it and basically have to throw them away, which is just sad because you put all this effort into it. So what we're doing is helping people uh, manage their relationships, but also just like giving them an intelligence layer around their inbox and calendar and all that stuff. So you can have these really cool tools to help uh, do the things we all say we want to do. And then before that, I started a company called Feedback Loop where we are helping about half the Fortune 100 drive customer development, which actually leads to some of the questions we're going to talk about later. Like, how do you know if somebody actually wants to use your product or not? And that's going really well. Growth stage company in New York as well. And I've started a healthcare company, sold to United, uh, and, a, and a few others as well. Really excited to have you here with us, Thor. Let's jump right into our first confession, one that we're calling, am I crazy for wanting to build this? I have something to confess, and that is my friends all think I'm crazy. For the past year, I've been building a beta of a product company that I'm really excited about. But with the small group of people that I've been open to about it so far, the reaction has been mixed. Mostly they just think I'm insane for trying to create a product in an industry that, for the longest time, seems to be untouchable. There are a couple of very big incumbents, but there really hasn't been much innovation in the space at all. It's true that it'll take more than a great beta product to make a dent, but I really believe that I can do a lot more than make that dent. So maybe they're right, and I am crazy. But here's another confession. I don't really care. Okay, Thor, what do you think? Are they crazy for wanting to build this? Given how the person framed it, the answer is probably yes. <laughs> but it's okay, because that's the crazy people are the ones that change things. And the... Um, the bottom line here is if you're trying to disrupt a huge incumbent by, you know, with a beta product you build in your garage, like that's just the wrong goal. You're not going to do that. You might wind up doing it through building a huge company that then gets even bigger than the incumbent. But chances are what you're going to get out of that beta product is learning. You're going to be able to put it in front of people. You're going to be able to try it. You're going to be able to see if you can actually address something valuable for your market, for your target audience, whoever they might be, and you're going to learn, is this right or is this wrong? And in most cases, 
it's going to be that there's things that are off. There's things that are not quite connecting. There's things that you believe to be true and assumptions you've made that turn out to be flawed in some way. And the only way to find that out is just by putting the product out there and iterating as fast as possible so that you can learn as fast as possible. And then eventually, uh, your friends will stop calling you crazy because you're going to hire them. So they'll just call you boss. I love that. And I, you know, I related to this confession a little bit too, in that when we launched industry, we actually did it backwards. Like we did not have, we did not build up an audience and build up like a massive following. And then, you know, usually that's what people do. Then they're like, what can we do for this audience? Let's build a conference. We built the conference first with no audience. So in the early days, like people probably thought we were crazy, but we did have this belief that we actually could build something better than anybody else. Not necessarily build the best tech conference, but but build the best product conference, like kind of going edge with it. And I'm I'm curious for you, you know, when you hear people talk about wanting to like be the best at something, how important is it to sort of find that um, find that niche, if you will, rather than you know maybe building something so broad in general? Yeah, it's a great question. So the you know it is important to be the best at something for a small audience because you want to be able to have a product that especially in the early days that people are going to run through walls for like if you're selling something think of it as like selling to a company like if you're selling a software product to a big company there's probably 50 people on the other end that have to sign off on it and if i'm your target customer why am i going to convince those 49 people then I don't need this piece of software and I need to pay for it and the lawyers are going to be okay with it and so on and so forth. So the, the activation energy to get started is so high that it has to address my problem in a way that's uniquely valuable to me. And if you do a, if you, if you have something that sort of boils the ocean, then I'll stick to whatever I'm doing now. I'm not going to change everything unless the unique value is so high, at least as I perceive it, and and the way to find that out is what I was talking about earlier. You just you launch a product and you iterate and you figure out who does it resonate with and why. And you start asking questions like, you know, let's take the conference as an example. It's like, all right, so what brought you here? You have 365 days in the year and you chose one or two to spend with me here in Cleveland. So why? And then they're going to say, well, it's cool people. It's great people. It's like, great. Where else do you meet great people? It's like, well, there's a lot of places you meet great people. So that's not really the unique value. Then it's all right. So where else do you meet senior product executives and leaders? It's like, well, nowhere. Turns out. So getting the actual value prop and the customer segment to a point where it's it uniquely connects, and like that's what I'm going to do. Now I'm going to bake it into my calendar basically every year because this is where I go to do X. I'd say in the in the early days, that is probably the most important thing I could do. So identifying something uniquely valuable and understanding what you're doing for that person uh, and how they get value out of it. And then things will start moving. So you do that again, iterate, 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 and eventually you would get up somewhere. The other thing I noticed in the confession is that I don't know if they're validating the right thing. It almost like, it sounds like they're validating themselves, Exactly. you know, like with this small group of people and everything that you've talked about, Thor is really validating the idea. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like they need to just shift their perspective here and not look for people to see them as the person mm -hmm. that could do this, but see their solution as a viable alternative to, to what's currently out there. Cause it sounds like now they're, they're looking for people to just look at them as the thought leader, but they haven't done anything yet. 
So they need to start pitching their idea. I, I mean, I'm sure, Thor, you've run up against this where when, when you were starting out, potentially, uh, I'm sure not everyone around you believed that that everything you did would be a success, right? I mean, was there, there had to be some doubt surrounding you to work through and, and get past until you get those couple resume points, right? Always. It's always really about the customer development in the early days. Like how yeah. do you understand that you're solving a real pain point? And I'd say it's not even about the idea. It's more about, again, the customer and what they get out of it. Because the idea is like how you deliver it. Basically, the product is how you deliver that value to the customer. And if you understand only the product or the idea, um, you jump to the solution right away and you start like over-engineering a solution without ever understanding is there a market for it. And I, I, I mean, that is so common, uh, especially in early stage, like, so accelerators, incubators, people that are in companies like, or in organizations like that. Uh, I mentor and help out with a lot of them. And, um, and that's probably the most important thing I see that is like the, the wrong pattern, which is focusing on the solution before you validate the problem. And, and it's really hard to do because if you just like have an object, like this is my baby, isn't my baby pretty? Like everybody's gonna wanna say yes to that. And then you're gonna like delude yourself into thinking like, oh, you really have something everybody says is a great idea. Versus here's the early you know, early adopter customer base. Here's who they're who they are and how I'm gonna go after them because it's not about selling to them, but it's about understanding and learning with them and helping them and iterating with them. We'll be right back after a quick break. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. Com. That's business.att.com. Okay, now our second confession is for all the product leaders and founders out there. I know everyone will be able to relate to this. It's called, can somebody tell me when we found product market fit, please? Here's a confession for you. I think we've reached product market fit. I'm not quite sure. Everybody always talks about having product market fit, finding product market fit. But here's the thing. I'm not quite sure if we actually have product market fit. Things are going okay. We're a relatively new startup and we're seeing our customer base and revenue increase. But is there some sort of magic number before we know we've reached product market fit? It's not like you get a notification pop up on your phone. Okay, Thor, is there a magic formula for product market fit? So for product market fit, whether you're, you're selling software or, or any physical good, you know, it's a know it when you see it or when you feel it kind of thing. And it's hard to explain exactly what it is in metrics because it's so different. But um, for example, if you're manufacturing a widget, it just means you're constantly out of stock. If you have some sort of direct-to-consumer product, you can't keep it you can't keep the manufacturing going fast enough to keep up with demand. And in software, you have the same kind of thing. It's generally around servers and, and things like that, where 
You know, you, you're probably constantly going down in the early days because your product is made for a handful of people and millions of people want to use it. And, uh, and I've personally been in that situation a few times, including in the early days of AWS, constantly running Amazon out of servers where we had a few hundred million users and you click a button to provision another 500,000 servers and it just wouldn't work. And we get a call from them saying that they have to literally physically install more servers. And like those kinds of signs are all like very positive and encouraging for product market fit. And as a founder or as a, or even just as a person working on that product, it feels great. Cause it feels great because you know, you're making an impact, you know, people actually want it, you know, you're, you know, once you find that fit, then everything else becomes a lot easier. Cause now you're dealing with more known problems. You're dealing with like, how do you, how do you better deliver it? How do you optimize certain things? How do you, you know, tweak something as opposed to build it from scratch. Once you find this mythical, right, product market fit, does the work ever stop? Like, did your work change after that? Or were you still looking for that next product market fit or that next kind of segment fit in terms of like tiered packages or like the, the product doesn't just stop and then sell itself into eternity, right? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. So the research, if you will, for product market fit stops. And two things happen. First thing that happens is now you have something that's valuable. So then a lot of people will start protecting that. They'll build sort of walls around it and mm. have like organizational structures that make it so you can't change it or whatever it might be, which leads you to sort of the, the classical incumbent situation. A huge company with a cash cow, but you can't innovate. Right. And like, we don't have to look very far to see examples of that. So what you always need to do in parallel is think about what's next, either product, customer, feature, whatever it is. And you need to always learn, always be learning what that might be. So if you stop learning, that's when things get dicey. Mm. But if you're continually learning and you're staying ahead of the market and you're understanding what they need and what they want and sort of giving it to them, you're actually fine. It's only when you just like close your eyes, ignore everything else, ignore your customers is when you start getting in trouble. When you've experienced uh, where you've kind of like sat back and said, all right, we, we got this now. Was there a single like shipping point that then kind of clicked or or was it a gradual kind of discovery over time? I'd, I'd say a little bit of both, because as the hmm. founder, you're always convincing yourself first that what you have is something people care about. And then, and then, you know, you got to get other people on board too. So you believe it, or you really should believe it before others do, because you see something, your conviction, and you really want it to exist. Now, when, when you see it in the market, that is a very different thing. So for me, it's generally when other people are telling me about it or something like that. So in gaming, it's where people that maybe you don't know or people that don't really realize you're working on something, send it to you. So if you get an invitation to play a game, to, to mobile game or something like that, unsolicited from somebody in your network. Like that's a, that's like a cool moment. Things are going on out there outside of you. You're not doing anything about it. Yep. Same thing in, you know, with, with feedback loop was like, 
when people in a company are telling you about the super new, uh, this, this cool new tool that they're using that's been super helpful in doing whatever, right? That's a great feeling because you know it's sort of out there on its own. Yeah, that's probably the, the biggest signal for me personally is when I'm not in the room. I'm not like nobody's selling it. Nobody's doing it. it just like happens organically. All right, so now it's time for our takeaways from these two confessions. And honestly, I, I felt like these two confessions actually had a common thread again running through them. And that is that it, it's really hard to read the tea leaves sometimes. We read all of these blog posts about product market fit. And the moment I knew I had a winning startup idea. But the truth is things are actually a lot more messy. Signals aren't always clear. And while your gut might tell you one thing, it's not always right. So you should use other data points to validate your direction. But even those data points, they may not be definitive. There's an art to deciphering signal from low-quality data points, whether that's quantitative or qualitative combination of the two. And honestly, everyone is trying their best to figure it out. It's easy to look back on a win and say, oh, I knew that the whole time. And then we write our Medium post and, and everyone celebrates. But if we're honest, that's almost never true. Most wins are made up of thousands of tiny pivots and sometimes major pivots as we learn more and more about the problem that we're looking to solve and the people that we're looking to solve it for. Honestly, that's okay. You may never feel like you have a product market fit because the market is always moving. But there might be a time when you feel like you have a better fit than yesterday or the day before that. You may not know if your startup idea is a winner and honestly, it probably doesn't matter what the idea is Getting started sets you on a path of discovery, and if you're lucky enough to stay focused long enough, there's a chance you'll happen to solve a problem that resonates with a lot of people. But either way, just know that no one else is seeing clear signal, and we're all trying to read the tea leaves the best we can. Until next time, we're Michael Saka and Mike Belsito for Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network. And if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.